This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, we're back into the fray till the top of the hour after 6 o'clock. We'll pick it up. Global News at 6 with Farah Nasser and Ellen Carter right now with our panel. John Carmichael, Kevin Gadette, and Alyssa Freeman. And uh, this just uh, handed me, as they say, uh, there's a story the CBC is reporting that uh, the Prime Minister's in high-level discussions plotting next steps in dealing with this ongoing SNC-Lavalin controversy. In fact, uh, the idea is for Trudeau to show some ownership over the actions of his staff and officials. And they say this uh, might have happened last night at uh, his speech there at uh, the rally on the Danforth, uh, where he brought up the matter uh, generating an important discussion. How our democratic institutions, specifically the federal ministry and the staff and officials that support it, conduct themselves is critical and core to all of our principles. So he's paving the way. Uh, Kevin Gadet, are you sneezing there or throwing up? All right, blowing my nose. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> John Carmichael, I mean, if he does fall on his sword and issue all the apologies in the world again, I'll throw it around the horn really quickly. Is that going to work? I don't know. I, I think we'll have to wait and see what Canadians think. I, I, I think at this point, um, so much water under the bridge, I don't know if Canadians are going to forgive him for this one. Alyssa? I think that some Canadians will, and I think that the first and foremost, he has to make sure that the party stays together. So this might be a message, an internal message, as, as, as much as it is an external message. And Kev? Uh, regardless of what crisis management advice I would even suggest he follow, I don't think there's anything that can cover up the prima facie evidence of obstruction of justice, and nothing can paint over that. Interesting. All right. Uh, so people have to keep their eye on the ball. That is the principal underlying issue at stake. On another matter, uh, real close to home here at the University of Toronto's Mississauga campus tonight, Norman Finkelstein is slated to speak, and this has been rather uh, incendiary for some interest because he's uh, been banned from Israel. He's written books to the extent the Holocaust industry, reflections on the exploitation of Jewish suffering, beyond chutzpah, on the misuse of anti-Semitism and the abuse of history, plus a farewell to Israel. He's been uh, known to consort with Hezbollah, be simpatico to them, uh, a group that the government here considers a terrorist organization, uh, and yet he sees as freedom fighters, and so on and so forth. So here, Alyssa, is my question. When we've got Doug Ford saying he's going to withhold public funding from universities and colleges that don't protect free speech... Is this an apt litmus test? How would you see it? 100%. And what a litmus test it is. I mean, this is as incendiary as it gets. And if you wanted something to test it, especially when it has uh, overtones of anti-Semitism in it, uh, that's something that the government will be watching very carefully. And I think that there's a question here, though. I think, is this freedom of speech versus freedom of hate speech? And that is a very, very fine line, depending on which part of that line you fall into. And it's something that... The University of Toronto is wrestling with uh, also, you know, this is was supposed to be endorsed by University of Toronto Mississauga, also known as UTM, and now they're asking to be disassociated with it. So you want to have free speech, yet you're now questioning whether this is really positive free speech and you don't want to be part of it. It's, it's a very, very muddy water depending on what the message is. All right, but John Carmichael, to Alyssa's point, you know, or is it freedom of hate speech? Where do we start to parse that term hate? Uh, well, when you start to see the uh, proliferation of anti-Semitism the way we are globally right now, I'm very worried about where this is going. I, I would say he, this is hate speech. It, uh, it clearly satisfies the left uh, on a lot of their issues on freedom of speech. But when you, when you look to the, the middle or the right, 
and you talk about a Jordan Peterson, you can't even discuss those issues. So I, I think this is a hate speech issue. I, I It worries me big time. Yeah, but if the left turns around and says Jordan Peterson represents hate speech towards us, I mean, you know, then we get into uh, that kind of, as I call it, parsing of terms and who makes that call ultimately, or do you let every speech short of incitement to violence go and, uh, you know, just hold your nose in cases where you don't approve or like it, and uh, therefore it gives you social permission to, you know, have the speaker of choice come to your campus whenever you want. How about it, Kevin? Well, I, I lean in your direction, Johnny. Uh, I, let's, sh- let's shine the light on these cockroaches so where they, we know where these Jew-bashing, Jew-bashing bastards are. Um, and and that, that, that gives us the freedom to, to fight these odious ideas out in the public instead of having them go underground. You know, it also makes me think of all the times that Ann Coulter's tried to speak here, too. And she has also been denied the right to speak. Absolutely. And she's certainly not. I mean, she certainly has some very odd and extreme ideas. But I wouldn't say that what she has is could be defined, in my opinion, as hate speech. So really, where does this definition, how broad is this definition? And or Well, that's how, the problem. See, you that's, know? that becomes problematic right there. How broad is it? And who gets to make that call? Who makes that determination? And, you know, maybe they're looking at university campuses as this neutral ground where people can come and, and say what they want. But that doesn't mean, I mean, it still engenders a discussion. And maybe that's the good part about it. So, that's what campuses are supposed to be for, even even with stupid and be. odious ideas. They used to be. Well, well, they did. But ideally. now, uh, yeah, but look, there's a certain <laughs> uh, selective condemnation and uh, granting of the right to speak. Uh, in certain quarters, and, uh, you know, you cited Jordan Peterson. I mean, Ben Shapiro would be shut out, Ann Coulter, Voices from the Right. So that's, sorry, I think that's the beauty of of this being relatively early in the Ontario government's mandate, is if they're going to let a a crazy Jew-bashing jerk in like this to speak, and I think they should, then it sure opens the door to the freedom of speech of any conservative-minded person who heretofore has been rejected. That's the point I was making. The social permission then is extended, and uh, you don't have any qualifiers, no conditions apart from incitement to violence. And that whole notion is rather ambiguous of what is hate necessarily. Uh, Some people might just be offended by opinion and say, well, you're you're infringing on my right not to be offended, therefore it's hate. And we can't know, however one defines hate speech, we can't know whether or not it would constitute hate speech absent hearing it in the first place. By the way, uh, speaking of which, Donald Trump is planning the same initiative stateside that Doug Ford introduced here, you know, based on the Chicago principles at the University of Chicago there, uh, withholding funding. And obviously he's drawn the ire of the left. Uh, It's not a day goes by that that hasn't happened. Now you've got these myriad anti-Trump investigations uh, within the House of Representatives. I don't know. I can't count anymore. I think there are about 13 going on concurrently. Now, does that make sense to you, or do you think uh, the Democrats could overreach here, John, and it redounds against them? I think the Democrats are definitely overreaching. Uh, they have a mission. They've had a mission for a long time, for two and a half years, and uh, and I think they're on a mission to pursue impeachment or whatever else they can pursue to sully this guy's character and, and his name. That's not defending Donald Trump. I'm just, this is this is Democrats stepping way beyond the line in terms of uh, worse fair play. You start to criminally attack uh, a man's family and all of the others that are going to be part of this, I think it's I think it's a real uh, it's a real problem. Well, how do you perceive it, Alyssa? Is it uh, hitting a tipping point where people are starting to notice and go, uh, as much as there's this uh, resentment towards Donald Trump, some of the uh, folks might take great glee in that. 
But, you know, uh, for maybe more fair-minded folk looking at this as overkill or piling on, or at what point do you continue this harassment into, uh, you know, trying to get him out of office or have him impeached, could that be counterproductive for the Dems? Well, it could be, because right now it seems that they're throwing all the spaghetti they can at the wall and see what sticks. And that's a dangerous strategy, because it really diffuses your narrative. And the other thing I'm thinking of is, you know, are they doing this to placate the party faithful? Faithful because this is what they said they would do all this time, given the chance. So maybe that's part of their strategy. And, you know, I'm not sure how Americans, you know, writ large, are going to read into this. But I think they should have, like, really narrowed what they were going after versus just just going after everybody. The other interesting thing about uh, the Trump agenda is that he's uh, planning uh, a special, what do we call it, uh, group, uh, a council of uh, climate scientists that cut across the prevailing wisdom. He's got a lot of NASA people, uh, PhDs and so on and so forth that don't subscribe to the prevailing wisdom. As a matter of fact, uh, well, they're called deniers, but I guess they're uh, not deniers per se, as much as they're questioners who say the science isn't settled. And Trump has taken a lot of heat for that. Uh, but he's setting up this this group, this. Uh, and I'm just wondering if that's a political winner as well, Kevin Gaudet in Trump's America, mm-hmm. or is uh, he going to be seen as a kind of a Luddite here or uh, one of those people who's, you know, a flat earther, that kind of idea? Now, the problem with the the Democrats overreaching is that there's a 10 to 20 percent swath of the voting population in the United States that need to be targeted, and all they're doing is doubling down on the base, and it doesn't attract the the new voters they need to get back that they didn't get in the last election. And uh, Trump's move, I think, actually appeases his base, but he really does need, as all conservatives do, to be fighting hard on this climate change issue in a reasonable way. Uh, so that we can take back our message uh, of, on the environment because it's an opportunity cost uh, of, of what's been happening. So I actually think there's a good opportunity for him. Well, you see, that there's actually two parts to this, whether or not you uh, agree that the science is settled and then whether or not, uh, if it is settled and the consensus or prevailing wisdom uh, that the planet is warming, how best to address it in a cogent fashion that doesn't beggar our economy and cost, I guess, as uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is looking at a bill of about uh, $93 trillion, <laughs> which is more than the GDP of the collective planet, uh, which, you know, is just something that uh, is silly in a dog that won't hunt. Uh, but to that point, I've got to ask another exit question here quickly. You know, and this is a little bit, maybe it sounds frivolous on the surface, but we've had this measles outbreak in uh, Scarborough from an unvaccinated kid out there in B.C., same thing. It's rearing its head again. So, you know, people talk about climate change as being the existential threat. I'm just wondering, do you think it's that? Is it a nuclear war? Uh, is it, uh, well, I mean, what are the ways that mankind could see himself, uh, you know, see themselves destroyed? Global warming, nuclear war? An epidemic like the Spanish flu decimated the planet. 100 million people lost their lives 100 years ago. Well, it's hard to believe the measles is back. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think vaccines are uh, are designed and created to uh, to eradicate them. And, and we've got to get that happening again. We've got to make sure that we just don't allow that anti-vaccine approach to, to, um, to allow that type of disease back into our society. I think it's... But as far as the rest of it, <clears throat> I think... You know, we had the uh, we had the attack uh, or the uh, the battle last week between uh, uh, India and, and Pakistan and two nuclear powers. That somebody got a little fidgety and pushed the button. 
what have you got? So I, I, I lean more towards that as the as the big threat still today. All right, John's in favor of nuclear war. <laughs> no, I'm no, not. Not in favor of. <laughs> I don't think he quite phrased it that way. That's a distillation. It's a distillation of John's remarks. Saying, he's voted nuclear <laughs> war as a true existential threat threat to mankind. Uh, and uh, look, I don't want to say that measles is uh, something to be taken lightly. I'm just using that to extrapolate and say epidemic. Uh, could there be something else? Famine. Uh, maybe something comes from the heavens above. We get hit by a, a meteorite. How do you see it, Alyssa? I don't know. What, this sounds like an attack on Mars type of conversation. What is the existential threat? The existential threat. I'm with John. Nuclear war? Nuclear war. And between whom? Where is the flashpoint? Is it Kim Jong-un? It is. I think it's also the Middle East. I think it's India and Pakistan. I think there's a number of hot points in the world that we don't pay a lot of attention to here, and we do worry about measles outbreaks versus what's going on in those hot spots, and that's where we should worry. All right, Kevin Gadet, you get last word on this one. I mean, the existential the, 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 bu- the bugs are going to get us. Are they? Yeah, I think it's the bugs. You know, the the anti the the drug resistant. Uh, uh, drugs, MRSE, chikungunya, uh, Ebola—that's that's raging, continuing to rage in the, in the Congo right now. Actually, um, you know, drug-resistant tuberculosis. There, there's a. I, I, I think the bugs are going to get us. Fascinating. Uh, that's why I asked the question because I mean, I guess the default position had been for the longest time nuclear war, but people tend to be too casual and cavalier, thinking that modern medicine technology will address all of these issues. Uh, well, we've addressed all of the issues, the topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Pound 3636. Want to thank everyone for coming in this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Alyssa Freeman, Kevin Gadette, and John Carmichael will be back at you tomorrow. After 3 o'clock, and thank you, Jackie Lamport and uh, Mary Feely and you. And stay tuned now for Global News at 6 with Farhan Asser and Alan Carter. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.